Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I invite you to join me as we explore what it looks like to choose joy in the messy middle while embracing the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to find joy in your every day. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 269 here on Jumpstart Your Joy. In this episode, I'm really honored to be joined by Megan Gallagher. She's coming on to talk all about anxiety and how to navigate it. After having intense panic and anxiety attacks up to 20 a day as a teenager, Megan made it her life mission to inspire teenagers and their parents about how to deal with anxiety in today's world and she has spoken at so many middle schools and high schools about her story. She also has a podcast, she's a TED Talk giver, and she has books out about it. It is such a treat to have her on the show and to talk about anxiety, which is an important topic for this week and this time in our lives. Before we get to the show, I wanna give you all a very warm welcome and say, I am so glad that you are here. If you're new to Jumpstart Your Joy, of course, it's a podcast that started in 2015 and we are in season six now, which is all about finding joy in the messy middle. If you want to find out more about that, about the show, about myself, you can find it all over at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you want to find show notes, which will give you links back to Megan's website, her podcast, her TED Talks, And I love this so much. This season, I'm doing full transcripts. So if you want to just read this and go back and revisit some of it, you can find it all on the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 269. While you're there, be sure and sign up for my three Joyful Things newsletter that comes out on Thursdays. And I give you a little bit of behind the scenes and some thoughts to think about as you look for finding joy right now in the messy middle. It's a great way to be reminded that there's a new podcast episode out. You'll also be the first to hear more about my brand new book. Yay! And the the second podcast that I'm going to be launching very soon. So be sure and sign total insider information. I'm really, really delighted to have Megan joining me in just a minute. She is such a resource and an inspiration for so many teenagers who are navigating the world of mental health. The reason why I feel like this discussion is such a great one for this week and this time in our lives is that I really love what Megan has to say about how she trusted her intuition about reaching out to her own parents when she felt as a teenager that the anxiety and panic was probably not something that was something other people were feeling on a on a regular basis and that she had this deep intuition she needed help to get through it she had a really strong relationship with her dad and so i think it also speaks to how as parents we can make sure that we have strong relationships with our own children and build in that layer of trust so that they know when something is coming up for them that they can come and talk to us it speaks to the deeper nature of relationships and and how it's so important always to have these strong relationships within our families and so however you can foster that now and however you can reach out to people is so important. And I love that she also talks about if you notice someone behaving very differently than they usually do, to get curious about what's going on. So I'm really excited to have Megan join me. Welcome to the podcast, Megan Gallagher. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Yes, it's a delight to have you. And so I'm really excited to have you here to talk about anxiety and what we can do to navigate through it or recognize it and help people who have it. 
Yes, I'm seriously, I'm so honored to be here and it just makes me excited. I know people can't see, but I'm really grinning from ear to ear right now. <laughs> and I'm just so excited because I really love sharing my journey with anxiety. And, you know, that's been something that I've struggled with, honestly, my whole entire life. And it's showed up in different ways. And yeah, you know, I love just breaking the stigma in any way I can and just helping teenagers and parents going through that journey. Because for me, when I was a teenager specifically, that's when my anxiety was at its, you know, all time high. And I was struggling every single day just to barely, you know, make it through school. And it was a very, 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 very challenging time. So I'm really, really excited to, you know, just be of service. Thank you. And I know from watching your TED talk and reading up, it can be very scary to talk about the thing that's hard for us, but it's also, I know you talk about your pain becoming your purpose. And so I'm excited to unpack that with you. Before we get there though, would you tell us what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? Oh my gosh. I could talk about this for hours. So (laughs) when I was young in elementary school, well, first of all, I, it's funny because in elementary school, I was the biggest tomboy. Like I was hanging out with all the boys. I was the girl wearing like vans and Converse and all these just tomboy clothes. And I was playing kickball with all the boys and I was beating them. And I just Like I know in elementary school, girls are not really, most girls aren't really wearing makeup or doing any of that stuff, but I just felt like that was such a faraway world. Like I just wanted to hang out with the boys and play kickball and just beat them all. And I was, I had a lot of friends who were boys. I played the clarinet in my school, just like the band. I played the clarinet and I was obsessed with sharks. It's really funny because I had this obsession my family growing up, we had a, I'm from the Bay Area, San Francisco. And growing up, we had a beach house in Stinson Beach. And growing up almost every weekend, my dad would take me and some friends to go quote unquote shark fishing. But it was just for like little leopard sharks, like not anything like a great white, like tiny one a foot big leopard sharks that can't even hurt a human. And I just thought I was so cool because I thought they were like real sharks. And then Yeah. So I was just total tomboy, total, just rough and tough girl. And then in middle school, I feel like I started becoming more of a girl, a girly girl and all that stuff. But yeah, when I was younger, I just was obsessed and I feel lucky because I grew up in outside of San Francisco in a little suburban town called Lafayette. And I feel lucky because Lafayette, you know, it's like population 15,000. It's pretty on the smaller side. And I grew up in this really cool cul-de-sac and all the kids were friends and we were all neighbors and it was just so much fun. Like we'd be playing outside and in the creek and tree forts and it was just like the best childhood ever until your parents call you in for dinner. And (laughs) it was just the best. I love it. And we grew up probably not far from each other. And I have a very similar, like our court, we were all friends. We were all over in each other's yards constantly. And it was, yeah, it was magical. And we didn't, yeah, we didn't come home until mom called. Yeah. Sometimes we just ate at the other person's house or whatever. Like it was all very fluid and yeah. Yeah. Now you work with people who have anxiety or are trying to navigate through it. Would you share how it is that you got involved with that? I love your story and the bravery that you've shown in getting to where you are now. I mean, even though my whole life, 
I've always been super social and very outgoing and, you know, just very extrovert. A lot of people wouldn't really think, oh, she has anxiety because most people associate, you know, anxiety with someone who is introverted, socially awkward, or just not outgoing or ambitious or adventurous. But even though I was like just the polar opposite in that sense, like from the day I can remember, even as young as like 10, eight years old, I always had this like pit in my stomach and I would just get sweaty. And I felt like I was, you know, going in an elevator when it goes down and you get that feeling in your stomach. And I never knew really what was causing it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was kind of normal, like, you know, the common cold or something. I just was like, um, you know, this is just something that happens every day at lunchtime. And I don't really know. And I didn't think much of it. And then as I got older, cut to eighth grade graduation, you're going through puberty, you're kind of getting in touch with your emotions and your body, and you are old enough to understand, wow, I I feel weird and I don't know what's going on. And you're, you know, you can use your words and you're kind of like, this is odd. And then freshman year of high school, my anxiety just blew up in my face. And for me in the therapy that I've done, I've realized my anxiety is triggered by change. So any type of, you know, the change from eighth grade to a new high school, some friends are going to a different high school and all the things that come with it. I was like, wow, I can't do this. I'm what if on all the negative worst case scenario thoughts started coming in. And I really just felt super afraid and I really didn't know what was going on. So high school, I remember beginning of my sophomore year, I, my anxiety had gotten so crippling that like most normal humans eat like a breakfast, lunch and dinner, but I was kind of like binge eating and just not really healthy. And my anxiety was so bad that I was afraid to eat at school, even as crazy as that sounds. I was literally like, if I eat a meal in school, then I am going to throw up in front of other people and it's going to be embarrassing. And I realized that all of these worst case scenario thoughts and horrible outcomes and the what if, what if, what if, it's just, you know, it's like, well, what are the odds of that really actually happening? And I also realized that anxiety really is just a fear of losing control because to me, the fear of what if I do lose control, like the fear of throwing up in front of other people, to me, that says you have a fear, you know, of losing control of having people see you needing help or you being viewed as weak or anything. So What I'm doing now, it just really comes from personal experience. I have been there and I just remember in my high school, there were no assemblies or workshops or any type of mental health days, self-care days, or anything like that. And unfortunately, in my high school, I remember we also had quite a lot of students who either overdosed on drugs or they drank too much alcohol or they ended their lives because of depression or anxiety. And then our school didn't, I don't think really did the best job of handling it. I think my school could have done a better job of using this tragedy and shifting it to opening up the dialogue of like, let's talk about this and really why did it happen? So I just was inspired by, yeah, my own upbringing. It sounds like you had an amazing connection with your dad and fishing for sharks. (laughs) Like that was already there. Like you you had that special connection with them. Do you want to share a little bit about how you shared with them your concerns? Because I think 
my assumption is, is that lots of times when people have anxiety, it feels scary to share that you have it because it feels like there's possibly another worst case scenario that could play itself out if you share. How did that go for you? Is that true at all? Yes. I remember so vividly. I remember when I was a teenager, I just had this huge fear of like, if my friend group or if anyone found out that I had anxiety, then I would just be viewed as weak or a loser or people would stop inviting me places. And I, I associated me opening up with rejection and people judging me and, oh, no, Megan, we're not going to invite her anywhere because she's a freak or so really only my parents knew and my sister barely knew that I was really suffering and my friend group never knew, but I've realized just because you ask for help or if you, like, I just realized that it's actually more courageous to open up and it actually takes guts to really say, Hey, I have anxiety and I need help. And people won't view it as a weakness. People will think you're really strong because it does take huge amounts of courage to open up and to be vulnerable and yeah, just to seek help and just to be your own advocate. So I think as I've gotten older, and of course, when you're a teenager, it's like you worry so much what other people think about you. You're constantly like, oh gosh, this person's going to say this and what if and what if and what if. But as I've gotten older, I've graduated, you know, I'm a real adult now. And I've realized that, wow, I'm in a way different place in my life. But I think just realizing it's actually good to open up and it's powerful and people are going to respect you. I've realized it brings more positive things than negative things because for me, the amount of positive ripple effects that I've had in my career, I can't tell you how many people from my own high school have messaged me on like LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and they, you know, start following me or friending me and they're like, Megan, oh my gosh, you know, like, this is so cool what you're doing. This is amazing. And I had no idea you were struggling. I had never told anyone. So it's just this powerful full circle, like, oh my gosh, you know, what I'm doing, it actually does matter. And so, yeah, I just feel like, wow, this is a cool thing. And, and there is such power in that. I have my own past the audience knows, but after the birth of my son, I was diagnosed with PTSD because it was a very long labor. And yeah. so even in therapy through that, the therapist said someday, not now, don't do it now, but someday you have to talk about this because people need to hear that there's other people who have hard things that they go through and, and to see one, that it happens and two, that you're going to be all right. Like the good news is on the other side of it. I mean, that's kind of where the jumpstart your joy thing comes from is there is more joy, at least in my situation, more joy on the other side once I've dealt with it. So it's so true. I mean, it's hard because it's so scary. Like I remember vividly, you feel like you're jumping out of a plane or something, you know, if you have to admit to yourself or ask for help from someone else. But I remember vividly being 15 and knowing just one day after yeah. school, I was like, I have to do something about this because I still at that age didn't know it was anxiety. I just called them episodes because, you know, it felt like these moments that lasted, you know, an eternity, but it was only about one minute where I felt like I was blacking out and just going into this trance. And then I would open up my eyes and it would be over and I would feel my heart beating fast. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. This is a stroke. This is a heart attack. This is horrible. And it would be over and then it would come back again. And I would have 
sometimes 20 a day. And then I felt so exhausted at the end of the day. So I just remember vividly one day being like, I want to live a better quality of life. And I don't know really what's going on, but I know that talking to my parents always makes me feel better. And I know that I can trust them. So I was so nervous though. Like my hands were literally shaking and my whole body. And I, I was afraid they were going to look at me and start laughing, or I was afraid that they were going to send me off to some, you know, like foreign boot camp in Germany or something. And then I would never be like home again, but it was just powerful. And it really just showed me because they had such a positive response. It just showed me how much they loved me because they kind of looked at each other and then looked at me and they were like, well, Megan, you know, we love you so much and we're always here for you. And they literally were like, okay, well next week, you know, your first therapy session is going to happen. So it was a really, I feel very lucky because I know that not every person or teenager grows up in a household where it's very supportive. Yeah. And I got goosebumps a little bit just because you're sharing that you kind of knew that there was something that didn't feel right. And you finally getting to that point. I know that's so hard. Cause I mean, that was part of like my thing too, was like this no longer is acceptable was kind of my feeling. And so reaching out to get help was scary, but I think it's also such a mark of strength. Like you said, I would also love to talk about then I have a nine-year-old many of the folks that listen are parents and actually many of them are life coaches. So this is interesting territory for all of us is what do we do as parents? What are some of the things we can start to look for or listen for in the people we love? If you're a parent listening, or if you're the guardian of a teenager, or if you have a teenager in your life and you're noticing some signs, some behavior changes, some things that you're questioning and you're thinking, well, you know, Johnny or so-and-so never used to act like this, or they used to be super fun and outgoing and they wanted to be a part of all the school activities. And I think it's important to one, just make sure, you know, and you can journal this or you can talk to someone yourself, but make sure you have a written list of what you personally have noticed. So if you feel maybe they were an extrovert and now they're kind of an introvert or they were an introvert and now they're an extrovert, just either type of total opposite, make sure you have a list of the times and the dates of, okay, well in January, they were kind of acting this way and then they started dating someone or they started hanging out with a different group of friends or just some type of change, or maybe you, they changed high schools or you had to move because your husband's job. And all of a sudden you notice that they kind of were on their phone more, or they didn't come out of their room a lot, or they just would come home and sit in their room. Like something just shifted. It's important to just make a list of what, in your opinion, you've noticed and how, you know, it's not really like them to be doing that or to be sneaking out late or to be partying a lot or whatever it is. And I would say also just to trust your gut feeling, because I think for parents, but especially moms, I think that mothers have a great intuition. And for me, my mom always knew, she always knew that, you know, Megan's the more sensitive child and she gets more anxious and worked up. I have an older sister too, but she was like, you know, Megan's definitely the child, the younger sister that has real anxiety issues. 
But I think as a parent, like being aware and make being proactive, I think is the best thing because unfortunately, I think a lot of parents can start thinking, oh, you know, well, it's just a phase, you know, this is what teenagers do. Yeah. But unfortunately, I think if you have that attitude, then you're excusing their behavior. And then before you know it, they're an adult and you don't really have control over them. And then all of a sudden, I'm not saying this happens for every situation, but I think, you know, a lot of teenagers, unfortunately, when you are that age, I think you start forming habits and those things can affect your brain and your growth emotionally, mentally, physically long-term. So if you do get into drugs or smoking or drinking and you do that for years and years and years, the chances are that you're going to be an adult who does that. So it's really important to, as a parent, take action. Don't just sit there and think, oh, but he's just having fun because it's important to really let them know that there are consequences to doing this. And it's a real thing. It's like not just, oh, once they graduate high school, they're going to, all these behaviors will end. They will most likely continue, you know, when they go to college and move out or get a job or move into an apartment or something and you're not there to watch them. So I think just being proactive being aware and really paying attention to your teenager, noticing the signs, are they crying for help? And just noticing the behavior changes. And it could also be something else. It doesn't have to be mental health related, but it could be. So I think just being a present, proactive parent. Yeah, I love that. And it strikes me too that, like you're saying, it might not be mental health, it might not be anxiety related, but it very well could be that like maybe there's just a skill or a coping mechanism that Mm -hmm. you need to be aware of. I don't know, are there some places or resources you could think of for parents? Because the other thing I think I haven't said directly, but I know that there is that there's more teenagers right now with anxiety than ever before. Like it's a real epidemic of its own. And so how do we help or are there resources for us to look at? One of my personal favorite things is when I was in high school, my first therapist gave me this workbook called Mind Over Mood, and it's available on Amazon. And I'm in no way, shape, or form sponsoring this, but it's called Mind Over Mood. It's about a hundred page workbook, and it's so powerful because it helps you really understand how your thoughts create feelings. A lot of people, they can drink the green juice and go to bed early and they're like, but I still feel weird and I don't feel completely safe or present in this moment. But it's really because we have to realize you can't think negative thoughts and expect to feel amazing. We have to put in the work ourselves. And I think our thoughts are very powerful and it does take conditioning. If you feel like your mind is going down that spiral, mm-hmm. you have to have your tools that help you get out of it. Our minds are just trying to keep us safe. The part of our mind that wants to keep us safe, the fight or flight, that's been around since the caveman days. That has not changed. So we have to be like, we're not going to die. It's okay. It's fine. Nothing bad is going to happen. So I think that's a great tool. The mind over mood workbook. It's good to know that there is always a reason for why we feel the way that we do, and there's always a solution to it, but it does take work to feel better. So we just have to remember, if I want to feel better, that's up to me. I have to give myself the keys to the car because I'm the only one driving. It is an interesting transition too, especially in those teen years, because I know even for myself, like 
I wasn't really aware of my own ability to control my thoughts that then yeah. led to the emotions yeah. until much later in life. And I think you're right. If you can direct somebody that's having a tough time into looking at that as a reality of how you can get in touch with what the emotions are and the feelings are that are coming out of your thoughts, it gives you a framework to deal with a situation instead of just being ruled by those emotions and getting, um, I don't know, sidelined by them. In my opinion, I view what I went through as a blessing that it happened so early because now at 24, I've done years and years and years and years of some things that people haven't even tried, you know, doing the inner work and the healing your inner child and hypnotherapy and all those things. I've already done it all. And I know myself like the back of my hand. And I can kind of almost laugh at myself at this point, like, okay, Megan, for sure you know, cause that's really likely to happen. So it's like, I can be my own therapist when I need to be. <laughs> There's a lot of hope involved with that. If you're seeing this, the hard thing, the brave thing, of course, is to help your kid or yourself get help. But there's also that on the other side of it is, it really is an invitation to get to know yourself so much better. So would you let us know if somebody's curious about where to find you, what you do, like, tell us more about what you do in the world. I have my website. It is Megan, M-E-G-A-N-W Gallagher, G-A-L-L-A-G-H-E-R.com. I post every Sunday little anxiety tips for parents and teenagers. And then that Megan W. Gallagher, it's also my username on Instagram. It's my username on Twitter. I also have my own podcast, Reaching New Heights, where I interview athletes, Olympians, celebrities, singers, actresses, everyone in between, and just talk about their teenager years and kind of how those years formed them into who they are and what they experienced. Everything I do comes back to my mission of wanting to change the school system, really, and wanting to have mandatory classes about meditation and mindfulness and self-care. Kids and teenagers are just so smart and so creative and they need a place, a safe place that fuels creativity. And teenagers need classes about self-love and about how to follow your dreams and about how to, you know, make money just doing whatever you want to do because it is possible. And I want them to know that it's good to change your mind. And it's good to want to do what makes you happy. Because I know for me, like in high school, I did not do well academically. And I want teenagers to know that that's not an excuse to say, go get a bunch of like D's or F's and not try. School never clicked for me, but I felt mad at myself almost because I'm like, wait, so this means I'm dumb or something is wrong because I'm not clicking with academics. I want teenagers to know that everyone has their own kind of zone of genius. Everyone is smart in their own way. When you're 15 too, you're so young. So maybe when you're 35, you're going to realize, oh wait, my passion, you know, is cooking or whatever it may be. And then, then you're a genius. You know what I mean? Like we all have that inner talent, but it happens at different times for different people. For sure. Yeah. I mean, my own path. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there was no such thing as podcasting when I was in school. So, you know, I think that's the other interesting thing is like lots of kids might see, oh, I want to be this. But what we don't necessarily encourage is always that things that you may end up doing don't even exist. I will put all of the information about how to reach you in the show notes. And before you go, I'd love to ask you, 
my favorite last question for everyone, which is what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? Three best tips for jumpstarting joy is one, realize that you're alive and that itself is a blessing and realize that life is a gift. And if you can walk and breathe and move on your own and, you know, just all those things that like we can really easily get in the habit of taking for granted, realize that that is a major blessing and that itself is something to be happy and jump for joy about. I would say number two is just getting up and dancing. Anytime I feel like funky or just weird, or I feel like unmotivated or something, or just kind of in my own head too much, I'll get up and just turn on some fun music and just jump around and dance. And I look weird and silly, but it's just fun just to kind of like, you know, be a kid again, or just, I don't know, not take life too seriously. And then I also would say third way to jumpstart your joy would be to, I think just giving to someone else or giving to someone, to those who are in need is just a surefire way to make you feel better. And I think just realizing the domino effect of positivity is endless. If you wake up in a great mood and then you, you know, tell your roommate, oh my gosh, you look so beautiful today. Like you are so amazing. And then, you know, she feels good. And then she gives someone else a compliment, et cetera, et cetera. And just realizing the power of that, of positivity and how it can change the world. So yeah, <laughs> those are my top three ways for jumpstarting your joy. <laughs> I love it. I love the domino effect of positivity. That is brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for being on. It's been a real treat to have you on the show. Thank you so much. This has been so amazing. Thanks so much for coming on, Megan. If you want to find out more about Megan, you can find everything about this episode over in the show notes, which is at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 269. You'll find the links to her website, her podcast, and how you can get in touch with her if you want to reach out. And while you're there, of course, be sure and sign up for my Three Joyful Things newsletter, which comes out every Thursday, and you'll get a little reminder in your inbox that you want to check out that brand new episode and find out ways to jumpstart joy in your life. And of course, if there's an episode that you love, you could always forward that on to a friend and invite them to join you as well. I'm really excited to be joined by Molly McGlynn Noterer next week. She is a friend of mine from high school, and she now has written a book, and she works with people and families who are looking for elder care for people in their lives that they love. And it's a really interesting conversation, both about her journey to become an author and some of the self-confidence that she built up to get there, along with what we can do to help find uh, care for people that we love as they are getting older such a great conversation. I hope you'll come on back next week for that. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy. 